Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. When I first came to Boston, it was to uh, go to seminary. And I had a lot of friends, usually a lot of, you know, baby boomer age, uh, crack this joke, oh, you're going to cemetery? And they thought it was really funny. And, and it's actually kind of sad, right? <laughs> seminary, cemetery. Uh, the reason it got that nickname was because a lot of people know of seminary as the place where you get learning for like three years or two years. And then you come out and you lose your faith, you leave the ministry. So it's where your faith goes to die. It's a cemetery, right? And, and it, it kind of, this reputation extends from this notion that applies to so much of life that the longer you study something, be it chemistry or a religion, um, the more complex it becomes, the longer list of things to do you have, uh, the more questions you have, the more mystery there is, um, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And all of a sudden, your once naive faith devolves and deconstructs into something that would no longer be called faith, right? This is the fear of a lot of my uh, parents' friends when I went to seminary. Uh, but the good thing is, is that this is not how Christianity works. Uh, the beautiful paradox of Christianity is that the deeper you go into your faith, the deeper you go into the word, the longer you live as a Christian, the more blazing focus there is. In some ways, the simpler it becomes that the one thing that you have to focus on, the one thing you have to remember is Jesus. This is because the, the way to maturity in Christianity and the Christian faith is not up but down. It's uh, beginning like a child in your faith and you're receiving the gift of God's righteousness and his salvation and it's continuing in that childlike faith. Uh, it's paradoxical. It's upside down. So the reason I am still a Christian uh, eight years after seminary is not because I chose to ignore the intellectual side of our faith, not because there aren't still questions I have or mystery or there aren't still doubts that I want to attend to, but because Jesus has me in his grip. Uh, because Christianity is not a religion about me and what I do. It's about a God who establishes a personal relationship with us. So tonight we're going to talk about the, the personal aspect of the Christian walk. Um, it's a personal thing. We are abiding in, in a personal connection to a personal God. I'm using that word too much, but... The point is, he is alive. Uh, this is not a dead religion. We don't worship a dead God, but he is alive, and we have a relationship with him. And in this passage, the, the agricultural metaphor of a vine and branches is used, and um, the contrast is between a living vine, a living branch, and a dead branch, right? So we're talking about life here, and we were talking about how do we have life? How do we remain connected to Jesus, the source of all that life? So I want to go through three things. The first one is, who is the true vine? 
Second, how to be connected to the true vine. And third, how to remain connected to the true vine. So who is the true vine? Comes right out and says it. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So these few words uh, are kind of mysterious. It uses a metaphor. It packs this huge, huge punch. Um, And we have to understand the context a little bit more to understand that. Uh, First of all, when uh, the Jewish people would walk around uh, the countryside, they would see vines all the time. They would see vineyards all the time. So it was very useful imagery. That's not the case for us. We don't live in Napa Valley. Um, But there's more than that. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, the imagery of vineyard or vine was used Um, Let me just give two examples. Isaiah 5, verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So Israel is equated with this vineyard. In Psalm 80, uh, it says, you, as in God, brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. I could go on and on with examples from the Old Testament of Israel, the people of God being compared to a vine or a vineyard, and God was the one who gave it roots, gave it life. Um, The implication is that Israel was meant to be fruitful, that they were to um, abound in in good works and in blessing to the nations around them. Uh, But the critical element here is that it is the Lord that gives the life, the Lord that gives the blessing. And so what had happened is Israel had Um, thought of themselves as the source as opposed to the Lord. They were puffed up and thought that it was the law that they had been given that was the source of life or even the way of life as opposed to God himself. And so what Jesus is saying here is, I am the true vine. He he uses that word true. He's saying, "I, I supersede the vine of Israel. I am what Israel was always meant to be. Now, Jesus has been ruffling feathers all this time. Surely this again ruffled some feathers, but he goes on to say more. He says that there are dead branches, those branches that are no longer producing fruit. He's comparing Israel, some of Israel, to being lifeless and ceasing to bear the fruit of righteousness. What Jesus is saying is that unless you are in me and I in you, unless you are connected to Jesus, you have no life. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing because Jesus is the true vine. So how do we become connected to the true vine? Um, In verse five, gives the answer. I am the vine You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So whoever abides in me and I in him. In Sarah's translation, it uses a good word, another good translation for the word abide, which is remain. Remain in Jesus. So to be connected to Jesus is to be connected as a branch of that vine. If you've um, ever seen a vineyard, it kind of looks like trees, actually. The vine uh, that would, and, and it's usually pruned, so it looks like a trunk growing out of the ground, and then all the branches 
sprawl out and all these wiry, if it's not pruned, it's going to be like, you know, all over your house or all over um, an arbor or whatever. Um, But the vine is that main part, that main section of the vine that goes down into the ground and has roots. So to be a branch, you have to be connected to that vine. So how do we become connected to Jesus? Well, it's by faith. Um, It's believing in him, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection as your only saving hope in this life and the life to come. So it's faith in Jesus. As soon as you have faith in Jesus, as soon as you are converted, uh, you are connected to the true vine. Let me illustrate this. Um, Electricity. Uh, We take it for granted until there's like a snowstorm and we don't have it for a little while. But even those outages only last a short time. Uh, If we lived in the country, uh, it might last a lot longer. But living in a big city like Boston, there are backup generators and backup generators for those backup generators. Um, I had a newfound appreciation for electricity when I watched this show called uh, Long Way Up. Has anybody ever seen it? It's a series with Ewan McGregor, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Star Wars, uh, the newer Star Wars films. Um, But it's this kind of classic buddy motorcycle adventure trip, which is kind of cool to me. I always thought that'd be fun to do. But they they do these, you know, circling the globe kind of motorcycle trips. Um, They did this one from Patagonia, which is all the way at the southernmost tip of Argentina and uh, South America, all the way up. Uh, through the mountains to Los Angeles, California. There's one catch. 13,000 miles, 13 countries, 100 days, electric motorcycles. Um, And this sounds amazing. It sounds so good for the earth. But if you think of the Patagonia, if you've ever seen a picture of the Patagonia, desolate, uninhabited, if there ever was off the grid, it's off the grid. So the entire show, you're like, really anxious for them, you're really tense with them because they have to charge at any point they can. And any city they stop by, they have to find an outlet like in a gas station or knock on somebody's door, get a charge because they had to have electricity in order to go where they're going. Um, And it made you realize how much we take electricity for granted and maybe how far we have to go before we all ride Teslas. Um, But for many of us, our Christian life is, is kind of like this. Uh, we need these intermittent breaks um, when we realize something's going wrong in our lives, something's going wrong in our hearts. Uh, we, we've stumbled into sin. There's, there's sickness of somebody we love. There's uh, maybe a, a certain amount of stress. We realize, okay, I can't do this on my own. I need to go to church this week. I need to pray extra hard today. Um, we go to Jesus We charge, and then we go about our way. We go on our journey. Um, The problem is, is that this is not what it means to abide. This is not what it means to abide in Jesus. Uh, He is calling us to continuous, unbroken, abiding in him. The Apostle Paul says, pray without ceasing. I mean, okay, what does this mean? I need to go become a monk or a nun that I can just pray literally all the time? No, it means living your life. The theologians have said uh, this in Latin, quorum Deo, before God. 
as if God is at all times watching you and you are living your life as if he is the one audience that you're concerned about. So it means being connected to him, abiding in him when you wake up, when you go to work, when you go to class, uh, in the middle of your tests, when you hang out on the weekends, during finals week, over Thanksgiving break, winter break, when you eat meals, sleep, everything, finding your life, finding the source of spiritual vitality in Jesus. And I think if we, if we seek to live our lives this way, we will find that there is a lot less anxiety in our hearts. Because at all times, whenever an anxious thought pops into our head, we take it to God. We say, hey, God, I'm stressed about this right now. When we're on, a, on our walk down Bay State, uh, back to Danielson or wherever it is, uh, praying to him, saying, God, you know it. You know it, but I need this. I need to rest in you. I need to abide in you. I think oftentimes we're like Ewan McGregor and his buddy. We're, we're frantically kind of, you know, are, are we going to get a charge? Are we going to be able to, to make it? And we're not realizing, hey, Jesus is with you at all times. You don't need to wait till Sunday to go to church. He is with you at all times uh, to abide in him, to find peace in him. And we are, when we are connected in this way, it's a fruitful connection. It's a fruitful um, thing. We will find that it bears a lot of fruit in our lives with character, with the way we start to see God answer our prayers. Um, but this sounds all well and good. You know, we've kind of started scratching the surface of what the Christian life might look like. But how do you remain? How do you stay this way? Um, life gets super busy. We're coming up on finals week. And uh, if you're anything like me, when things get haywire, all of your practices, all of your habits, all of your good uh, rhythms in life, they just go out the window. You know, you're eating out all the time. Well, I guess you guys already do that. But <laughs> anyway, um, you know what I mean. Uh, all, all your sleep habits go out of the way. So how do you remain? How do you stay connected at all times to the true vine? Um, well, I think a lot of what this has to do is distraction. Um, stay with me. <laughs> um, staying focused is like more difficult than ever. And we don't really know that, right? But I kind of think it's true. Uh, a Time Magazine article tells uh, of this 2015 Microsoft Corporation study. Um, it says that since the year 2000, which was about when the smartphone kind of started taking off, when the mobile phone revolution began. Actually, it was much later that the smartphone came. Anyway, mobile phones at the very least. The average attention, so 20 years ago plus, the average attention span dropped from 12 seconds to eight seconds. To eight seconds. For reference, the average attention span of the notoriously ill-focused goldfish is nine seconds. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Is that, is that what you guys feel like? I mean, I was working on this sermon today. I can't tell you how many times, if I logged how many times I checked my email, it would be embarrassing. But it was just this knee-jerk reaction. Anytime I feel that little tick, I open up Gmail. Nine seconds. Um, and I think we need to get to the root of distraction, right? And I think one thing, at the very least, of distraction thrives in multiplicity. 
multiple options, so many different things. Uh, let me give some examples. Infinite scrolling on Instagram. You can just keep going and going and going. I've never been to the bottom, have you guys? Um, a plethora of shopping options on Amazon. I mean, how many different sellers are giving me this lotion? How can I find the right price, right? Keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, so many people to flirt with on the apps, right? Um, maybe you just keep swiping. Maybe you just keep waiting for that one. Um, and on and on and on. Distraction thrives in multiplicity. The movie Hurt Locker came out, I think, 2008. Uh, it's about this American bomb disarming squad in the Iraq War. Uh, the main character, Jeremy Renner, a uh, big Marvel uh, movie star now, um, he had one job in this film. He's the guy that puts on the big, crazy-looking suit with the bulletproof, blast-resistant glass, um, and he goes up to the bomb, and he tries to work with the wires and disarm it. And it, obviously, this is a very, very dangerous job, and it requires an intense amount of focus, right? If he gets distracted, his life is in danger, civilians' lives are in danger, and his fellow soldiers' lives are in danger. But there's this one scene when he comes back from his deployment, and he's in the grocery store, and he's just walking down the cereal aisle, and he's just standing there, just staring at like what looks like kind of hundreds of boxes of cereal, so many different varieties, so many different brands. And what a contrast it is in that scene, it's so well done where his focused, mission-driven, and obviously intense life as a soldier, what he comes home to, even what he fights for, is a somewhat meaningless life of hundreds of choices of cereal. Right? And so while none of us would envy the life of a soldier at war, and war is not a desirable good, there is something to be said for the laser focus that you can have when you're faced with life or death, right? When you're faced with survival. But we want more out of life than just survival. We don't want to just scrape by. No, we want to thrive. We want an abundant life. But hear this. What if we were to keep our attention focused on one thing that mattered more than anything else in the world. And by doing that, find ourselves more alive and more fruitful than ever. In a, an encounter with uh, Jesus uh, is in the home with uh, the sisters Mary and Martha. And Mary sits at Jesus' feet and talking with him while Martha is in the kitchen or wherever they prepare meals Back in that day, she's anxiously toiling and she comes to Jesus and complains that Mary's not helping. This is a classic, well-known story. But what he says is so crucial. Um, he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Remember, di distraction thrives in multiplicity. Right? When you're anxious, there's always so many things going on, so many things on your mind. Um, but one, this is back to Jesus' words, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion 
which will not be taken away from her. As I've said, another way to translate abide is remain. And another way you could say that is to stay put. Uh, For a lot of us, me included, uh, COVID was one of the first times, and especially when everything was shut down, you couldn't really go anywhere. It was the first time in a long time that I had been forced to stay put. I didn't have any options. Uh, I had to pay attention. I had to take stock. I had to pay attention to what was going on with me and my heart and my soul. And maybe you also found yourself realizing like, wow, I've lived my life so busy and so, such at a hurried pace that I've become a knot, just a tangled knot of these distractions and I'm not even sure what's at the bottom of it or what really matters anymore. And maybe coming out of the shutdown, what you've learned is, okay, I need to learn to focus, learn to get the, the right things back in my priority list. And the good news is that you don't need to wait to figure all that out. You don't need to wait to untangle that entire knot. Um, we're way too complex for that. You'll be here all your life. Um, but what it does take is giving up on figuring it all out and merely receiving an invitation to God's house. Now, we talked a few weeks back about Jesus going to prepare a place for his people, going that his, his mansion, his father's house, has many rooms, and that he's going to prepare a place. And he's talking about the future there. But here, this call to abide means he's inviting you now. Come into my house. This is Jesus Uh, this invitation of hospitality, of spiritually living in him, of living with him, letting him be the host, and you receive, and you take, and you consume, and you be refreshed, and it's staying there forever. This is what it means to abide. It means staying put. When you first meet Jesus, it's an amazing thing. Later on, you might find yourself asking, have I got it right? Maybe I need to start shopping around. Friends, uh, counterfeit gods, counterfeit Jesuses are legion. They are multiple. They are everywhere. You will spend your entire life looking But if you have found Jesus, you found the right one. You found the right thing. What do we have to do now? Abide. Stay put. Remain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would give us that that humility, that ability to just stay put where you are, which is in our hearts. Uh, Lord, your Holy Spirit has come to dwell with us and we are invited to dwell with you. Lord, we pray that that would be true for everyone here tonight, all those who couldn't make it here because of tests or whatever else. Lord, we pray that you would be with um, the students on this campus um, and, and those that love you, that they would find that even in this time of stress in the next few weeks, that you, they would find that you are a sweet and gracious host. Lord, we pray. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.